Christ is risen. (laughs) Amen. Back in high school and early in my my college years, I used to actually have the time to go hunting uh, before life got inordinately busy. Uh, I'm not going to claim that I was ever an especially good hunter. I think I got one squirrel in my life. Uh, Not too fair to the squirrel, I don't think. Turkeys could always spot me from a mile away. I tried to be still. I, I really did. And their eyesight is, is just incredible. And I always just ended up soaking wet because it inevitably rained when I went turkey hunting. It was not a good experience. And when I got old enough to go deer hunting, they could always seem to sniff me out. No matter how um, much of the different products you can spray on your clothes and on your shoes. It it didn't matter. It didn't matter. They could sniff me out. They never came near me, by and large. But there was this one moment in which I drew my bow on on a doe. Uh, But there was something about her movements um, as she made her way through uh, the woods on on, on the trail uh, that just made me appreciate this doe and and her life. Uh, I I stayed drawn on her. and I did until as she slowly made her way into range, and then I watched her uh, move out of range. And I then let my, the tension out of my bow and lowered it, and I couldn't help but smile. Clearly, I was a bad hunter, clearly. But knowing my abilities and how close she had come to my tree stand that morning, I could have easily made the shot, but I didn't. Something was inside me didn't let me release that arrow. But the mornings, no matter whether I was soaking wet, whether I was in a tree stand freezing, or what, the mornings I spent hunting, despite my obvious lack of success, are are really dear to me. Whether it was the difficulty that my dad always had trying to get me up and you know, down a cup of coffee and out the door of the cabin and into the woods as we made that pre-dawn hike in darkness and in silence. Um, as we made our way to my tree stand first and then he split off and would go to his own tree stand. And we were only aided by those special lights that uh, clipped to the bill of our hats that let off either a green or a red light because I guess Uh, the deer weren't as sensitive uh, to those colors of light. So maybe it was those those difficult mornings, or maybe it was as I sat in the tree stand and would see the sun begin to peek up over the trees and the light filter down through the trees as it lit up the reds and the yellows and the oranges that the leaves had turned in the fall. Or maybe it was the quiet time I got to just spend in the woods, watching and listening to all the animals as the woods came to life, the squirrels barking, because they only ever made me aware of their presence when I wasn't hunting them. Um, And then the the other birds as they came to life, and occasionally I would see a deer, uh, very rarely in range. And though I didn't have the patience or really the ability to appreciate it at the time, looking back, I can really appreciate and um, 
marvel at God's good creation that I got to experience all throughout uh, those years that I went hunting. Whatever the case, looking back on my time spent in the woods, um, I realized that in those early morning hours, I was in the midst of what I'm going to call a liminal space. And what I mean by that is it's a space and a time between. You lose track of time. You lose sense of the greater world around you. You're living totally in a moment that's between. And this is what the Celtic people of, of uh, the British Isles would call a thin place or a thin space. Those times and places when, when and where heaven and earth are particularly close. We know that, they're, that we're, heaven and earth are particularly close at all times and all places, but these are places and times where we might sense this a little more acutely. Moments and places when the divide between God and ourselves feels thin enough that you could reach through and touch heaven yourself. Those kinds of moments in time. And as I thought about this, I, I, couldn't, I can't imagine that Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, Joanna, and the other women who were on their way in the pre-dawn hours to the tomb where Jesus had been laid didn't have a similar experience. They had been mourning the cruel and abrupt death of their Lord and teacher, and they hadn't been able to properly bury him because they were observing uh, the Torah uh, restrictions against working on the Sabbath. And so this was their first opportunity to act lovingly towards their dead Lord and teacher. So I can imagine them walking in silence to the tomb as the sun begins to peak its way over the horizon. What did they feel when they saw through their teary eyes that the heavy stone that had been placed in front of the tomb had been rolled away. As they entered the empty tomb, the two men in radiant clothing stood and appeared and stood beside them, saying, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. These holy messengers brought word of the glorious Easter hope to these women in mourning who never abandoned Christ but followed him to the end at the cross. I have to think that these devoted women, truly the first preachers of the empty tomb, of the gospel, if we're being honest, experienced in that morning a thin place. God was on the move in their midst and they could feel it. And it's a bit odd, though, how God is on the move in Luke's account of the resurrection, isn't it? In our gospel reading for this morning, the story is defined by Jesus' absence. Jesus isn't there. He's risen, right? Jesus, apart from the fact that he's nowhere to be found in or around the tomb like he is in the other gospels, isn't actually in the narrative. Even the messengers point to this. They, the question, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. Christ isn't in our gospel text this morning because he's not in the empty tomb. 
The women, as any of us would in that moment, need reminded. Christ had already told them that he would be handed over, crucified, and on the third day he would rise again. But in the midst of all their grief, of all the trauma of Good Friday, they'd forgotten. They'd come with spices and the things necessary to prepare a body for burial. Forgetting Jesus' words of God's promise to them. They had indeed been looking for the living among the dead. And we really can't fault them. When we're anxious, stressed, fearful, and, or in mourning, we can lose sight of God's promises too. We're absolutely prone to do the same things. But it doesn't change the fact that God is still on the move in our lives. Are you actively seeking after Christ in your lives? Where are you looking for him? I think that it's comforting that our story certainly doesn't end in the empty tomb, wondering what these strange messengers could mean. Instead, the women all run back to where the disciples were all staying so that they can tell them what these messengers had told them. And these disciples who had been so close to Jesus all throughout his ministry, all throughout his life, just dismissed what the women proclaimed as an idle tale, as an old wives' tale. Dead men don't raise themselves. Jesus was dead and there was nothing that they could do about it. Their hopes had died with him. But Peter, for some reason, uh, that Luke doesn't tell us, gets up and he runs to the tomb. And he finds it just as the women had described it. He peeks in and he sees the burial clothes folded neatly, one at the head, one at the foot. And he's amazed. And without explanation, he just returns home wondering what it could mean. Sometimes we can find the resurrection just as difficult as these early disciples did and people throughout the ages have. But might we receive the news again this morning as the women at the tomb did, as Peter did? Might we allow our lives to be changed by this news? Change to run and tell others? Change to run and see for ourselves what God is doing in our midst. God is on the move. And so often our Easter reading would end here. And that is the assigned lectionary passage for today. But so often we miss the next portion that's just as important. Because it's not the end of Easter day in the gospel according to Luke. Two of Jesus' disciples had decided to travel on that resurrection day to a village called Emmaus. They were mourning the death of, of their friend and teacher, recounting all the things that had happened to him in Jerusalem. And after all the ministry that he had done, they were 
talking about and reminiscing about him just as we would one of our loved ones who has passed. The risen Christ begins walking alongside them, though they don't recognize him. And he asks them what they're talking about, they, and, but they can't believe that this stranger hasn't heard anything about the sham of a trial, about the crucifixion, and about the burial of this teacher named Jesus. So after telling him about the events of the past three days and of the odd story that the women um, told them of the empty tomb that very morning, Jesus begins to teach them about why the events that had just transpired had to happen. And he begins with Moses and then works his way clear through all of the prophets. And they, be, and they reach the village of Emmaus and Jesus continues on, and, but they stop him. They convince him to stay with them at Emmaus since the day was nearly over. It wasn't safe to travel at night. And as they sat down at the table to eat, Jesus took bread once more, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to him. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. He was gone. He vanished. He disappeared from their sight. God was on the move with the disciples as they journeyed, and now they found themselves sprinting back to Jerusalem to tell all the others what had just happened again. God never stops moving. Even death couldn't keep God from moving in the world, saving us from our sin that keeps us in bondage to death. We still encounter Christ in the breaking together of bread as we share in communion and in fellowship. We still encounter Christ moving in the world as we share who he is and what he's done for us. The resurrection gives us the holy hope that death cannot and will not win. One of my favorite theologians, Nadia Boltz Weber, reminds us that through the resurrection, God simply keeps reaching down into the dirt of humanity and resurrecting us from the graves we dig for ourselves. Through our violence, our lies, our selfishness, our arrogance, and our addictions. And God keeps loving us back to life over and over. What an image. It just keeps reaching down into the mess of our lives. This love of God that led him to move to the cross and that same love that couldn't keep him in the grave as he moved out of the tomb is what is at work in our lives today. And because he lives, we have hope for ourselves and our world as Easter people that God will continue to move in our midst in the thin places where we feel especially close to God, as well as where we struggle to sense God's presence with us. And so we proclaim the best news that the world has ever known. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. Amen.